How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. As all of you know, I am very passionate about leadership development and coaching and mentoring and helping people become the best versions of themselves. Some of you may not know that I have a soft spot in my heart for building and developing IT leaders. That's what I spent the majority of my career in as an IT professional. I came across Nathaniel Morris on LinkedIn. That is exactly what he does. A few years ago, he founded his organization, EQ Digital, and really just focuses on building technology executives and helping them become the best versions of themselves. So Nathaniel, welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. Okay, let's start off. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Who is Nathaniel? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a farm boy, grew up in Kentucky, uh, and most people early in my career would have never suspected that, but I grew up raising cattle, uh, used cattle to pay for my first car, and just began to learn a little bit along the way of technology and just self-taught. Had an uncle who was working with computers in public school sector, and that became sort of my interest as well. And as I went through my career, was planning to go into a completely different field, but technology just kept coming back around and wound up in the world of e-commerce. And the merging of business and technology, and come from a heritage of business owners who've, my grandfather, my father, both had businesses of their own. And so learning how business works and understanding that, and melted well together, merged well together between the two. Okay, so entrepreneurship is kind of a thing that has run in your family. That's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah. And w when was it that you launched your business? How long ago was that? Uh, a week before the world shut down. So in, in March of 2020, uh, right before everything kind of closed down, uh, was when I stepped out and hung out the shingle. Man, you timed that perfectly. Okay. Exactly. Hey, nowhere to go but up from there. Well, that's a, that's a great point. Let's dive into that for a moment. Entrepreneurship, leaving corporate America is something that is just scary as can be for most people. And here you jumped off right before the world flipped upside down. Did you immediately go back to try to find another job or did you just say, okay, well, let's buckle up, let's get it done? I will say there were moments between the two, uh, just depending on how it worked, but I really wanted to buckle up and say, let's do it. And this was my second time that I had done this. I had stepped out uh, actually in 2008, 2009 timeframe uh, and done some work for a number of clients and then wound up with a client who had hired me. So I'd spent nine years uh, on the corporate side of it and then wanted to go back out into the consulting space and helping teams and stepped out again, bad timing, but I knew that there was an opportunity out there to help individuals who wanted to grow their career, who wanted to truly fix what was broken in technology organizations and I have a passion for that. I'd spoken with a number of different people. I'd been planning for a few months towards this end, obviously not knowing what was fixing to happen, but we knew that we could help and stayed the course. There were a couple times where it was like, maybe we should go the other way, but really felt like this was the end goal of where we wanted to be. And we started gaining traction as we got to the end of 2020 and have continued to move forward from there. What is broken in terms of technology and leadership in business? It fundamentally comes down to a context problem. 
not manifest in a number of different ways, but IT has often been considered to be its own discipline that operates on an island separate from the business. And that has caused the way that we develop IT leaders, the way that we hire IT leaders to be very centric on the technical skills. But the challenge that we have is that they don't have a context of the business skill or perhaps of the leadership skills that they need. A brilliant engineer may not be a good leader of people or a brilliant engineer may not have the context of how business P&Ls work. And it's not that they have to be trained as an MBA or a chief financial officer, but they do need to understand the principles of how technology affects the outcome of the business. And we're here for business. It's not a think tank. We're not here to just invent and innovate. We're here to drive a business forward. And that means trade-offs. And sometimes it's not about the best technology. It's about the technology that is good enough. Maybe it's boring. Maybe it's not cutting edge, but it's really impactful to an organization. And so I think that mindset of we're just trying to keep the lights on, we're just trying to keep the operation uptime has really been ingrained because technology came up through the conversation of it has to be in the business. We introduced it and then we had to figure out how we keep it stable. So that's maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. That's what really the job was about is how do we just get it rolling and get it stable? But we're not at a point in the automobile industry where we're trying to figure out how we manage traffic. Like we know how to manage traffic. We're at that point. We're at the same curve in technology. It's no longer about do we just have technology here and keep it running and roads don't break and fall apart. Like we're at a point where it's really about how is it the most efficient for the business? How do we look at a city and say we need to lay these roads out so that they best serve the business or the city needs? Same is true with technology. How does the technology best serve the outcome of the people in the business? And that's really the fundamental shift, and it's all about context. Man, you were able to beautifully articulate that. It sounds like you've had that conversation a few times before. <laughs> we have indeed. Uh, and it's, it's a conversation you have on both sides because oftentimes you get down a road where a business owner thinks that the problem is, well, maybe we need more technology. Maybe it's the software we're using. Maybe it's the hardware we're using. Or maybe these people are just not the right people. Or on the technical side, it's going to feel like, well, why doesn't the business understand? We need to do X, Y, and Z, security or outages or all of these things. And why don't they get it? And I don't understand why they want something this way or that way. And it's a context gap. And so I have the same conversation twice usually in both frames of mind, right? From a technical perspective, let me explain the business. And from a business perspective, let me help articulate why the technical team is looking at these things. And you stitch the two together. So a little bit of practice. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, I, I can, I can absolutely see that in in my experience as well. Now, I'm curious, why is it that you think technology executives or IT professionals struggle with this so much? Because you said something earlier about how they kind of tend to operate in silos and just focus on, okay, well, let's, let's make sure that uptime is at the highest level possible. But they don't seem to spend a whole lot of time understanding the business. And I'm curious why you think that is. I think it's for a number of reasons. Uh, one, from a technical training perspective, we don't tend to bring business into technical tracks. Um, so if you go through a uh, bachelor of comp sci or whatnot, you're probably not going to get a lot of 
business track. So we're not putting a lot of that into the training. I think the other thing that you're looking at is a lot of the veteran leaders in technology have perhaps been from that previous generation where it was about that. And it's not that what they were doing was wrong then, but that doesn't apply as much now. And so the mindset of how do we now in this new iteration of business bring that forward, you need more mentors, you need more individuals who are helping train up that next group. And then the third conversation is really, in a lot of ways, it has to do with people understanding these conversations have to be collaborative. The number of times I have seen an engineer to an end user have four or five layers between them, and we feel like we're insulating them and we're protecting the business from tech or the tech from the business. And quite the opposite is true. We need them in the same room. We need them collaborating and working together because while the engineer may be sacrificing some time to be in the room with the end user, they're actually saving time because they're actually not gonna do it three times the wrong way to get to the right answer. They're gonna be able to shortcut to the right answer faster. So getting context is so important. And there was an old saying that you can work on a team or in a team. And I think a lot of times we're working in the technology and we're not stepping up to the higher level and working on the technology for the business. Yeah, I, I, I've always thought about this over the, well, okay, as I say that, early on in my IT career, I did not think much about the business. I had that old school IT mindset. I was managing over 600 servers across three data centers around the globe, and it was just uptime, uptime, uptime. That was all I could focus on. And with the proliferation and maturity of cloud-based platforms and SaaS, those challenges have started to kind of go away for the most part. Now, you're always going to have management and maintenance of the infrastructure itself or the applications, but it's getting easier and easier to offload that and allow technology executives to start shifting their focus over to developing their team partnering with the business and trying to bring the most value to the organization. And it, it seems that some technology executives struggle with that. And I do cite or talk about the Peter principle quite a bit. The best systems engineer is not necessarily going to be the best leader of a team of systems engineers. Well, when you go opposite. in, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you go in to work with teams and businesses, how often do you come across that? And then how do you, how do you work through that with the business? Yeah, so it's very interesting when you start finding those individuals who have been put in leadership simply because of the fact that they were really good as a technical expert, right? And what, the first thing I look at is I want to know their passion. Right, so let's back up, we assess an organization, we walk in, we look at the full landscape, where are the leaders at, what's the quality of the leadership, where are the challenges, is it trust problems, etc. We do our analysis, but if we find this is the problem, right? We've got people in leadership that were great experts. I wanna know what their passion is. Uh, you know, there's, there's two schools of thought when you deal with firefighting. One is someone who actually goes in and puts out fires, and the other, they're called a firefighter, and then there's a fire marshal whose job is to prevent fires from happening in the first place. So I want to know, is this individual, do they really want to be in that scope of, I want to lead people, I want to do this, or do they really want to be in that scope of, I love the technology, I want to be in the weeds of it. Once we know what their passion is, 
then we can take a track for each. If they truly are passionate about the technology, they know they're in the wrong seat. And they're there either because it was the way they got more pay or it was the way that they got more influence and it was the only track. Like they were kind of shoehorned into it and that's all they had. We solved that by opening up the conversation of, look, there are other roles that are technical leaders that are not necessarily people leaders. And we can help design that org chart of here's how you can add value as a senior member of technology without having to necessarily be responsible for people. And we can open that career track. On the other hand, if we find that people are really wanting to be in leadership and they're like, hey, I kind of like this thing. I, I, I did the technical, but I really want to go down this leadership track. Then it comes to the conversation of how do we help support them with training and coaching and getting them the new skills and the new tooling. And they may be struggling and they realize they're struggling, even if they like it, like the path. And we say, look, these are just different skills. You may have been really good over here. It's a different set of skills. Let us help you learn how to do those skills. And I came down that journey. When I first moved into leadership, um, I had a very small team and I'd come from being an expert in technical fields and in the e-commerce space. And my first review where employees gave me feedback, I was called a, a cold, emotionless robot. And I, those three words will stick with me the entire duration of my career because, you know, it's the tin man kind of thing. And I'm like, it wasn't that I was unprofessional. It was that I didn't know how to lead. I didn't know how to connect with them. I didn't know how to help coach them. I was simply doing very pragmatic things and it was not connecting. It wasn't resonating. And so I had to go down that same journey of learning a new set of skills. And so we can train people to be leaders if that's where their passion is. But we need to know that's what they're passionate about first. As you were talking through that story, I started to reflect back on my own journey. And back in 2010-ish time frame, I was working for a publicly traded oil and gas company, had a team of about 20 to 22 infrastructure engineers at any given time, managing all of these data centers and, and environments. And the technology was my passion. We had the opportunity to build an entirely new data center. Well, it was within a colo, but we had our own cage space and we had, we set up uh, multiple blade chassis and, and ecologic arrays and sands and, and just some really hefty infrastructure. Got to do it from the ground up parallel to our existing environment, which was quite frankly, one of the most exciting projects I've ever worked on in my career to just have a three, $3 million check to go get whatever you needed to ensure that things didn't break in the future. So it was a very exciting project. And I, at the end of the year, we hit every single uh, deadline that we had set in terms of, uh, as far as pro managing the project, hit every single deadline got all the systems migrated, everything went beautifully and worked out. I, I crushed myself mentally and physically because I was working 70 to 80 hours a week the whole time and had this team of people that was working with me. And I was frustrated through that journey because I couldn't get certain engineers to do their job or do what I needed them to do. And I would just fine, whatever, I'll do it myself because we needed to meet these deadlines. And at the end of the year, sat down, had my performance review with our IT director at the time. And I was 
thinking that I was being realistic and ranking myself like a 3.5, 3.8 out of 5. And he came back with a 2. And it just crushed me. Oh, I was furious. I was livid. I sat down with him, said, hey, I, I need help in understanding this. We hit every single deadline. We did everything we needed to. We came in under budget, all of this stuff. And he said, Sean, yes, you did all of those things. But I ranked you at two because you have a team of 22 people that coasted working 35 to 40 hours a week while you killed yourself. You were in a leadership role. You did not utilize your resources the way that you need to be utilizing them. Ugh, that crushed me. It absolutely ripped me to shreds. And in my mind, looking back, I'm thinking, man, you probably could have just given me a little bit of heads up before that went on to my actual annual review. Right, <laughs> like, right. I could have adjusted right. course a little bit halfway through the year. Right. In any event, I ended up transitioning over to a solutions architect role, stepping away from leadership because I was so passionate about the technology. And that worked out beautifully. I ended up leaving that company, going into a consulting firm, leading a group of engineers again. I was there for about a year and then left for a director of IT role. And I came to this realization that, yes, I am very passionate about the technology. I geek out. Data center architecture, WAN design, all of that stuff gets me excited. But I keep finding myself in leadership roles, and I'm not succeeding. I'm struggling to work with these teams and build them and develop them. And it took me a few years in a leadership role. And actually, the true turning point was when I had an opportunity to step in and also start leading human resources that just completely pulled the blinders back and helped me realize there's this entirely separate world whenever you step into leadership in terms of EQ, understanding personalities, understanding what motivates people and drives them. Once I realized that all of that other stuff exists, I became extremely passionate about leadership. I still love the technology. I'm not as strong in it as I once was, but my passion and mission now is becoming the best version of myself, becoming the strongest leader, and also building all of the leaders around me, building the people around me. Now, I, that was a very long-winded way of saying how sometimes people in a leadership role don't know that they're meant to be leaders. They struggle to let go of that technical trade that they love so much to be able to step in to that next stage or season of their lives. My question for you how do you identify that? So one of the ways that you look at it is when you begin to walk into a team, take a small team infrastructure, any type of team. And if I sit down with the group and I begin to talk with the group, I'm looking for indicators of is the leader owning? Is it I? Is it they're taking on task or they assigned? They're not letting it go. Or is it truly into the team? Right? Where's the work happening? And that's one of your first indicators of a leader who's still trying to pull into it. Now, there are small organizations where maybe a leader is also a little bit of a contributor, but the rule of thumb says you lose 20% of individual contributor for every person you lead. So if you're at a team of five, 
you shouldn't be doing anything personally for that team as far as their, the team's work. If it's a QA team, you shouldn't be doing any of the QA if you have a team of five. So when you get to that point, I'm looking for, are they still trying to hold on to it? And sometimes, maybe it's a junior team, maybe it's an, a group that they've just been training up, but you still have to bring them aside and say, look, you can coach them, you can help them, you can't do it. Because if you do it, they are happy to, as you just illustrated, let you do the work and coast. And it's not that they're bad people, it's that, well, my leader clearly knows better than I do on this, so there's an inherent amount of trust that they know how to do it right, and maybe they don't trust me to do it, so I'll just let them do it. And that will resonate fairly quickly in a team if you just get into a conversation with them. And sometimes we got to have that conversation even without the leader, just to begin to talk and understand, like, what's happening and how is this team functioning? And I see it a lot of times, you know, sort of one of those first things, if I, if I know a team's not performing, and if I know the leader, it came up from within that team, like they have more tenure, they were there, they were the system administrator, now they're the leader system administrators. That's automatically one of my first suspicions because it is a very hard transition to go from doing that work in that company on those systems to hands off. Because you just have too much travel knowledge. You, you know where it all is. And oftentimes one of the better approaches is to move that leader within the company to a whole nother department for six months or some period of time to let them train as a leader in another area to get that sort of break apart. Uh, otherwise, you'll, you'll tend to have somebody who's constantly wanting to do it. The other thing sometimes that you get into when you work through those conversations is they want to trust, but the leader above them doesn't trust their team, right? So congratulations, you're now the leader of system administrators and the director of infrastructure doesn't trust the system administrators. They're still going to the leader and asking for personal work. So sometimes that leader wants to give it up and wants to move into leadership, but because they've been with the company so long, they're the point of contact, they're getting it. And we have to go up to that director and say, look, you're setting them up for failure. They're not able to move forward because either you or other parts of the organization are still going to them as an individual contributor. We need you to follow ticketing process or whatever the inflow process is so that you can enable that leader for success. And sometimes it's just a blind spot. People don't realize, well, I've always re relied on that person and you know, Susie's always helped me. Well, that's great, but Susie's not in a different role, right? Yeah, and also it puts <clears throat> quite a heavy responsibility on that senior engineer, or that senior administrator to be able to tell the director no. That's scary. Your boss's boss. No, no, you got to go over here to Sally to get that done. That is not a comfortable conversation. And so I can definitely see the value of someone like yourself or your team coming in and having those conversations to coach that director because the director should also be following that same process. And to be fair, that is something that even to this day, sometimes I'm guilty of. I have, or we have a, a vice president of IT that reports into my team because I'm responsible for a few different functional domains and I'll still go to him for a few things, but I normally try to follow the ticketing process and usually he's pretty good. Okay, cool. I'll get a ticket created. And that's just his little subtle way of saying, oh yeah, you probably should have submitted a ticket. And it subtly reminds me, oh yeah, I should have submitted a ticket. 
a lot of it's relationship based. And if I'm sitting down with my direct report, the vice president of IT, having a conversation. Oh, yeah, can you get this knocked out while we're going through a normal update? Okay, well, there's little nuances to all of those situations. But being able to learn those skills and how to navigate those conversations is important for the entry-level admin all the way up to your CIO. They need to feel comfortable having those conversations and knowing what the process looks like, which you just touched on. Yeah, and the value of it. It's not about an individual's out of bounds. It's about, hey, we do work best, most efficiently for the business if we funnel it through a common process, right? So it's about Let's get it into the process as quickly as possible. Even in a regular update, great, I'm gonna get a ticket. Subtle way, but also the right answer, right? I'm gonna make sure that this work isn't sitting out here as just a conversation. We're gonna get it documented and in the process so we get consistent output. Okay, now, all of that works very well if the team is performing well and they have a brand and reputation for delivering results. I want to go back to the situation that you talked about earlier where maybe the director doesn't trust the systems administrators and you've got this senior administrators that kind of the only person that he or she trusts in that moment, maybe because of a track record of a year or more of poor performance or outages or issues, where do you start on repairing that brand for delivering results or building it from scratch. If you have a team that's low performing, because if I'm being honest, the bar is kind of low when it comes to IT in a lot of businesses. So how do you start building that brand? Absolutely. Well, it's all about trust, right? We've just talked about the fact it's a trust conversation. And oftentimes we look at trust and we say it's one facet, I either trust them or I don't. And if I don't trust someone, all of a sudden it's a ding on their integrity and their character. And, you know, I think they're a thief. So we, we, we get very careful with using those words, but it is a trust problem. And it's a matter of we may trust them as an individual because trust is actually four different dimensions. We may trust them as an individual, but we don't trust their competency. So in that case, if there's no relationship, that senior level individual has no relationship with the technicians. All they see is competency, that's it. So we need to bring another view in. And a lot of times what I will do in those situations is let's sit down and let's have a conversation between that senior leader and those technical individuals. And let's find out, can we begin to build that you can trust them as an individual, that they have good intent and that they're trying. Maybe it's a skill gap, maybe it's something else that we're dealing with, but we can begin to build trust outside of the competency and get one of those other dimensions of trust to get a foundation to work from. And then at that point, now I can, after having built relationships, I can begin to say, okay, now what's causing the competency issue? Is it truly competency? Do they really not have the ability to do the job? What can we do to address that? We're creating a path forward. Or if it's not a matter of they lack the skill, maybe it's a matter of they lack the information about those systems. Maybe they're new and we've got to provide something because it's all in tribal knowledge and we need to do some cross training or what have you. Well, then let's get that accomplished. And we put a plan together that moves it forward. If it's truly a skill gap and we can't train it up, or maybe it's an attitude problem, which can happen sometimes, then we build a plan for those as well. But we've got to truly get into the middle of it and understand what is the core driver that is causing the competency problem. And then 
we build trust around it to begin to have a foundation to now rebuild that competency trust. And what I found over and over and over again is when I get the group in the room and we begin to have conversations, now I have a face, now I have a conversation, I have somebody I can meet, oh, their children go to the same school mine do, or there's some, we can create a connection to then begin to build true trust again. And now when the executive or when the senior leader is going, okay, I need a system administrator, it's no longer these nameless faces, but they're like, oh, I met Antonio, or I know this, and that will help us begin to build the relationship. It's so funny how much of this comes down to relationship, communication, sort of the foundations. There's nothing rocket science here, but by creating that context and allowing for it, we can begin to rebuild. And I think as senior leaders, we have the opportunity to kind of foster this culture of communication and trust. And that was especially difficult during the pandemic when everybody would just jump on a virtual call, get their their notes and updates done, and then go right back to work. Whereas pre-pandemic, everybody would go sit in the boardroom a few minutes before the meeting started. Hey, how'd your kid's soccer go, uh, game go this, this weekend? And in those little moments, that's when relationships and bonds are forged and strengthened between people. It makes it much easier if their kids play soccer together to just pick up the phone, have that conversation, or just walk over to their desk. And I think that because of the nature of remote work and how challenging it is to build those relationships, what I had observed is a lot of organizations were able to maintain that culture for a period of time, but as attrition started to occur, it is very challenging to bring in fresh blood into an organization and build a strong culture and assimilate them into that culture. And so it takes intentionality on the leader's part to be able to assimilate new people into a culture that is almost entirely remote. Did that play any sort of a challenge or issue for you as you are stepping out and coaching and building and mentoring teams and their businesses? Absolutely. I think you nailed it when you said that for a while it worked, right? So initially, maybe you say six months, depending on the size of the team and how strong the culture was, three to nine months, so that six month horizon is about average, the team felt like nothing had changed. Wow, we're at home, we're wherever, this is all cool. I know these people, It's you know we're good, we can still talk about things that we knew from when we were working together in the office. And now we're at a point where as the attrition and all of that happened, people really began to feel like, oh, this is a face on a screen, but I'm not engaged with them. I'm not connected. And the conversations, if you, and I've had a chance to participate in a lot of these, as you would participate in like team meetings and huddles and those type of things, you would begin to see that the conversation moved more and more to very tactical, very sterile kind of conversations. And it left out those relationships. And of course, when we don't have a relationship, we began to fill that void. Nature abhors a vacuum, right? So we began to fill that void with questions and then questions turn into distrust. And over time, we don't know what this person is doing or what's happening or who they are. And it, it just becomes very distant. And that creates challenges. It's not to say that remote work is a problem or hybrid work is a problem. It is to say that in its own vacuum with no human interaction with the rest of the team, 
it's a problem. So whether it be some kind of an organized quarterly event where you're bringing people together, whether it be leaders, I've seen this happen, leaders travel to a region and say, okay, I'm flying to the other side of the country and I'm gonna book a hotel conference room and I'm gonna bring in my team that can drive within a few hours. Anything you can do to begin to reestablish that rapport is so vital because you're right, as people are scattered, they don't have that connection. It's especially challenging for extroverts or social butterflies that need that human interaction. It was it was interesting for me to, to watch the first three to six months after the pandemic hit. Our technology team, their productivity, which was already incredible, went even higher. It just skyrocketed. Whereas our HR team, also absolutely incredible, started to uh, it it started to drop. It started to waver. We started to have challenges and challenges and challenges. The isolation became debilitating for uh, quite a few of them. And so trying to figure out, you know, there's only so many teams calls that you can have when somebody's locked up in their apartment and afraid to step outside and interface with any human at all, period. But to your point, it is important for leaders to be able to adapt and to be able to recognize what is going on and say, ooh, yeah, this isn't good. This person needs some human interaction. How can we facilitate this? What can we do differently? Can we do a virtual happy hour while I, I send a bottle of wine over and then we just jump on Teams one evening and, and chat it up type of a thing? There's all sorts of great ideas that came from it. And so it is also interesting to watch these organizations start to force people back into the office. Much more challenging conversation than forcing them to go home. And the, the, mm, the power dynamic has shifted with labor. It was kind of like employer-employee, and then during the pandemic, it kind of tilted this way. And it's just kind of going back and forth and hopefully it will start to normalize in coming years where things get to a better place. But man, these past few years have been brutal, not just for technology, but for all verticals. Yeah. Every vertical has been hit. That's for sure. <clears throat> what is one of the biggest challenges that you see with it leaders? We've kind of been talking about a number of them, but I guess, what I'm really asking is, have you gone into a business and thought, oh my God, this is an absolute train wreck? And if so, how did you navigate it? Can you get maybe just talk through what the problem was and how you were able to help them? Absolutely. So there was one client we worked with where we walked in and we had the conversation where the the business executive said, technology is failing us and we're a technology company and technology is failing us. Our customers are frustrated, you know, NPS scores, all the metrics, we're, we're stretching it. We can't promise deliverables. Things are all over the map. It's a disaster. And then I began to work with the technical leadership team and was in some of their initial leadership huddles and team meetings. and. I immediately began to say, wait a minute, there's a problem here with trust. And it, it was instant. You could see it in the conversations. And I began to just kind of prod it a little bit and say, okay, talk to me about this. Do we not trust that team? Or it, it, it seems like maybe we're losing team members because there was a turnover issue that was happening in technology as well. 
And it was seems like maybe we've got trust gaps that we're, we're dealing with in this team. No, I, I think everything is fine there. I, I don't think that's the problem was the response. And as we began to dig further, it became very apparent that we had a fundamental problem in the people area, right? I use a methodology called the P4 methodology, and there's process and there's people and there's product and there's partners. This was a people problem. And when we began to dive in, I said, all right, well, let's back up, let's do an assessment. And we did a full assessment of the organization and what we found is sure enough, there was trust within individual teams. There was not a trust externally. Infrastructure didn't trust security. Security didn't trust soft dev. Soft dev didn't trust you know, the uh, customer experience team. Everybody was having challenges and the leaders were all running their own agendas. There was no common prioritization. It was all truly, you do your thing and go. And immediately you're looking at it going, this is so dysfunctional from a business value perspective because in some cases we have the same project in multiple teams, they don't even know they're working on the same problem. In other cases, they're working at opposing perspectives. Somebody's trying to get X launched and the other person's trying to shut X down. And you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is clearly not healthy. Um, so we start with an assessment and then we backed up and we said, all right, let's work collaboratively. And we did this with the technical executive team. We said, look, here's the assessment. Here's what the challenges are. And I said, absolutely, how do we proceed? And we said, all right, well, let's put in a collaborative work session where across the board, we didn't really disrupt what the teams were working on as much, but we created an environment where the leadership of technology could work together for a hundred days. Here's a common set of objectives. We're all going to agree on them. We're, you know, here's a list of everything that's being worked on. Let's work collaboratively. And we spent a hundred days checkpoints, working them through the exercise of working together, aligning them to the business goals, aligning them to the business risk and what we're trying to accomplish. And at the end of a hundred days, the entire technology team is like, wow, we didn't really change a lot of the work we were planning on doing, you know, at the engineering level, infrastructure level, we kind of did the same things, but because we could align it, we could tie it to certain business objectives. We love what we're doing now. And the leadership team got on the same page and like, oh, these people aren't my enemy. They're my teammates. They're helping me. Let's work together. And it began to resonate throughout the organization. The business executives were like, what happened to IT? Like, wow. And that's the impact that you're looking at. And it's not new tech. It's not hiring new people. Yes, there were a couple of maybe minor changes that happened with accountability of who owns what teams. But at the end of the day, it was really about creating the alignment and focusing from a people perspective on clarity. We're all working on the same thing. Culture, they kind of had a pretty good culture, but they had a trust problem. Those three things are what you're ultimately driving when you're dealing with people. And it creates an impact that has allowed the business to not only succeed with what it needed to do, reduce risk, improve efficiency. Now they're actually targeting cost savings. They've saved seven figures in about a year just from the fact that now they're cooperating going, well, we don't need this, or we're already doing that over here. We got redundancies. It's fantastic. Isn't it crazy how much a team can accomplish whenever they're all rowing in the same direction instead of going off, oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, to bring them together so that they can communicate, collaborate, act as a cohesive unit and start moving in one direction, even without new or additional resources, all it takes is bringing them together, giving them a common mission or goal and allowing them to build trust in each other. 
Once you can do that, any team is capable of accomplishing truly incredible things. Man, I love it. Mm. That's, it's an amazing thing to watch. <laughs> the transformation. And, you know, there, there's a great analogy of you can see their eyes shining. And when their eyes are shining, you know you're connecting. It, it, it's uh, an example from a great uh, orchestra conductor. And he said, you want to see their eyes shining. Then you know they love it. And it's so funny because you can see that those light bulbs go off and you see a team start to go about halfway through. Wait a minute, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And then it just it just succeeds so amazingly. I love that. I, it's the 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 light that goes off, the, the aha mm-hmm. moment when people recognize to use your words, wait a minute, we, we are doing this. Yeah. Yeah. You are. It's it's not Nathaniel coming in and doing mm-hmm. anything. It's not Sean coming in and doing it. You guys are doing it. All we did is kind of shine a light down a hallway and say, hey, why don't you check check that out? Why don't you try yeah. to go down that way and see what happens? And sometimes that's all it takes is that third party or outside perspective that can come in because we're detached. We're not yeah. all in the middle of the the fire that's going on. We step in from the outside, can quickly assess what's going on and say, okay, identify what's going on. Let's put a plan together and now let's execute. It's and that's all it takes. Yep. Yes, exactly. And it, it is very challenging for people, whether they're in a leadership role, individual contributor role, whenever they are in the middle of the fire, day in, day out, to be able to detach from those fires, because I got to put them out, but mm-hmm. also detach emotionally, because mm-hmm. it is exhausting trying to fight a fire every single day. And you have to be able to detach to see what's going on. You can no longer look down and in. At some point, you've got to look up and out and say, okay, where are we going with all of this stuff? Mm. Absolutely. Do you focus or do you work with more than just technology? You work with operations and business leaders as well, Mm -hmm. correct? Absolutely. Yeah, leadership transcends. And really, the best engagements are when you can work across outside of just tech into some of those other areas strong background in e-commerce, operations, those type of things. And that helps them maximize their use of technology. We've had engagements where we actually come into sales organizations and they're like, hey, we got all these tools. How do we rationalize this and really leverage the right things? And helping them think about it differently, absolutely, uh, very valuable. What is the favorite thing about what you do as an entrepreneur it seems that you've been able to marry your passion for technology with your passion for leadership and start a business doing that what is the thing that you enjoy most about what you do the outcomes i love to see a leader accelerate their career gain a new set of tools and be able to just scale and to watch them grow. I've had a great opportunity through my career to work with a number of introductory leaders who are just starting out and helping them, or maybe they're midway through and they, they need an additional set of skills and to watch them grab hold of it and then to just take and run with it. And you're like, wow, they're on the path and all of these things they're doing, I didn't even teach them, right? Like they, but they got the concepts, they got the skills and now they're on their own journey that's an incredibly satisfying experience. And knowing that you were able to help get them out of that quicksand and really begin to move forward, that's my favorite thing. Man, 
I was actually going to try to wrap this up asking you what is one thing that you would want to leave with the group. But, man, that right there is is quote worthy. I'm probably going to have to make some reels out of that, what you just shared with everybody. (laughs) Okay, Nathaniel, what is the best way for all of the viewers and listeners to contact you? Absolutely. So eqdigital.com has all of our contact information. You can get a hold of us, get some more information there. And then I release content on a regular basis on LinkedIn. You can reach me directly there. Encourage you to follow me for updates on business and IT leadership tips, tricks, thoughts, uh, content going out several times a week there. Perfect. All right, Nathaniel, this has been just such a great conversation. Again, I love leadership. I love technology. I knew that I was going to be excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks, Sean, for the opportunity. I appreciate it and enjoyed it as well. All right. For all of you listening or watching, please take a little bit of time, share the show. Get it out there. I have no doubt there are people, friends, family that could actually get quite a bit of value from this episode. So please share the show, like, and subscribe, all of that fun stuff. No ads, never are going to be any ads on the show. I just appreciate all of you sharing the content. And that is all we have for today. Thank you so much. And y'all have a good one.